Statistics from around the world by showcasing their professions, passions, and perspectives. I'm your host, Mathir Singh, aka the Net Why Guruji Ka Khalsa? Why Guruji Ki Fateh? Welcome to the Net Nihangs Arena. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here, Mandir Singh. Oh, I'm, I'm really excited. I've been, I've been wanting to talk to you ever since I started the podcast. And uh, I've been watching you grow what you've been doing. And uh, we got to talk briefly last week, you know, preparing for this podcast. And um, it was really interesting just to hear a little bit about the background and stuff. So what I was thinking is today, for my listeners especially, because I know a lot of people that follow me um, are also following you, I thought it'd be really cool to kind of peek behind the scenes a little bit, maybe get a little bit background about you, where you grew up, how you came into Sikhi, if your family was always into it or not, and then um, maybe go into like how you evolved over the years and got to where you are now, where you have this kind of bigger network where you're you're producing content that's a that's polished and professional and you know, how you got there yeah that's that's a really interesting question it, it's it's strange that when i produce all the content that we do on our social media channels uh one of the comments that comes up quite regularly is people wanting to know a little bit about my backstory and i never feel like the channel that we've set up is the right place for me to do that because it was never really about sort of self-promotion or, or me talking about myself. So in a way, it's only through sort of interviews and podcasts like this that people can actually go and find out a little bit more about me, the individual, as opposed to what I'm trying, what that channel to be is just what is the message, what is the wisdom that 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 uh, I try to live by and, and I'm so inspired by. So um, my background is that I grew up uh, as a young kid in India, um, and my parents moved to uh, London in the UK when I was about eight years old. And I, I grew up in, in what I think of as quite a sort of tra- traditional uh, Punjabi Sikh family. Uh, and I, I, I kind of label it as we were the Sunday Sikhs, <laughs> like Monday to Saturday, you just got on with your normal life, school or work or whatever it is. And then it was on Sunday that you went to the Gurdwara. And right. that was the only kind of real connection that I had with anything to do with this religion. But one of the things that my, my parents were quite um, keen for us to do is to learn more about what is the religion, what is the, the, the culture behind it. So I think my, my, my mom played a really instrumental part in that. So when we were younger, I remember. Uh, as a young kid getting ready for school and my mum sort of doing my hair and she would insist that me and my sister just sit in the room and all that time we're learning Japji Sahib, we're learning right. the names of the gurus, we're going through the the stories of 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 the gurus and, and, and what their lives were about. So I think wherever possible, in whatever way my parents knew, they tried to plant the seed of Sikhi, at least from the perspective of allowing me to feel very comfortable with this tradition that I'd, I'd been born into. And I think they did that immensely well. 
So I always grew up very, um, uh, very much within the, the, a religious household um, where we would sort of do the prayers in the evenings. But what I meant by that Sunday Sikhs comment was there was never a connection between what you learned about the religion right. and what you did in your day-to-day -day life. There was never a conversation of because you face these difficulties in, in, the, in the world, this is how this wisdom can change your mind. And I think it wasn't until my 20s that I actually started to learn that there was actually a wisdom about how to live life as opposed to just a bunch of religious rules and stories and prayers that you just had to learn. And although right. my parents did an amazing job with that, I think one of the things that really surprised me in my late sort of teens and early 20s was that there was this whole wisdom and psychology about how to actually live in the mindset of it. So my background is very much in just what I call a very traditional religious Sikh background. Yeah, no, that's really interesting because I, I feel like so many of us that grow up in the West uh, can relate to that, right? Because um, a lot of times our parents are only doing what they know, right? They, they, they can only do what they know. And they also didn't have a new place where they were learning that deeper connection or, or, or I, I guess in one way I was lucky because so after 84 is when we got into Sikhi before that we were, our whole family was cut hair. Um, I was uh, in 84, I would have been 11. Um, and then 80, I think I kept my hair in 86 or something like that. But, um, for us, it was 1984 happens. Um, and then we met, um, some six that came to America and were able to communicate Sikhi in English. Okay. So they were able to teach us Girtan, teach us bot, um, but then also explain the philosophy in English, which was a game changer. Cause now all of a sudden it was like, Oh, I understand why you're saying to keep the hair. Now I understand the connection with the history. Right. And that, that made a big difference, but still, you know, you're still a young teenager. You go through middle school, you go through high school, you get to college and all of a sudden college is a time where, um, the world just expands, right? And you learn about so many different people and the way different people think, and you learn how to think critically. So then I kind of went through this re-questioning of everything. Do I really even believe this? Do I even believe that God is real? You know, what, what does that mean? What does the word God mean? Because I'm having an image in my head. When I say that word, a particular Western image is coming to mind. And now I'm grappling with that. And then reconnecting with everything by, I don't want to say completely starting over, but almost starting over like, okay, let me look at all of this with fresh eyes. Let me understand the perspective from different people. And I, I, I consider myself lucky that I knew people that were Akhan Kirtni Jatha or Dhamdhami Taksal or Sikh missionary. And, and they were all people I knew and respected and cared about. And I was able to go to them and ask questions and learn, you know, and connect from different perspectives. Um, but it was the same thing. Like you're saying, it's not until your twenties when you start to reevaluate everything you've been taught. Cause the sakis were memorized. The bot was memorized, you know, you forced to do Kirtan, whether you can sing nice or not, <laughs> you know? yeah. and then you kind of have to reestablish it. So I think that's totally relatable. And I know a lot of my friends, we all felt the same thing, but the thing is though, at still at some point it had to spark you into not just reconnecting, but also having this passion for like digging deeper. Cause 
when I hear, uh, so I listened to your entire nonstop podcast. Okay. And it's so well done. It's, it's so well structured. You even reference back to previous forties to make, you know, to show the connection between the forties and how it's all going. Um, and I don't know, I don't think you're going to label it this way. And I want to give you an opportunity to kind of maybe explain it better yourself. But when I'm listening to it, it sounds like everything from a self-help perspective. Like we always think of Gurbani from, or even the gurus in a certain perspective, like a spiritual way that's purely spiritual or, um, you know, um, some kind of worship way, but to stop and think about that, the introspective style of what Gurbani is. Cause even the guru is speaking to himself when he's saying the Gurbani, he says it from the like, Oh, Nanak, you know, and when we're reading it, we should be saying that to ourselves. And then you start to realize this. So when you were explaining everything very systematically, I started to feel like, I'm like, yeah, you know what? This is giving people that are struggling with depression or stress or the kinds of things we typically associate with self-help type things. This is almost putting things into that perspective. How how would you respond to that? I think for me, the similar to to the story that, that, that you went through and the journey that you went through is that in my late teens and early 20s, what became interesting to me and the, 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 the part of the, that I related with what you said about, you know, you starting to see that the world is bigger and that there are other perspectives. What became very interesting to me um, was having conversations with other kids in my school. Uh, this is around the age of about 17, 18, and hearing that they had drastically different views Mm. on the same religion that I grew up with. Mm. And I think for the first time, it made me just take a step back and think, oh, so what I think is Sikhi is only my parents' version of Sikhi, which is neither right or wrong. It's just the version that they've given me. And here I am trying to have these debates. And it's all the sort of typical debates about, (laughs) you know, should you do this? And what what kind of style of turban you should wear? And should you eat meat? And all these kinds of things. Right. It had never occurred to me until that point that there was another point of view until I started having these kind of um, debates and discussions with with other friends of mine. And I think what that did to me was rather than turn me away, it actually sparked my interest even more that I needed to now learn what other perspectives were out there. And so that kind of really sparked my, my, my interest. And, and, and that's when sort of in that sort of 18, 19 age where I started attending the first time Sikhi camps, where I was really learning for the first time, actually starting to learn, like you said, from people who taught in English. I think prior to that, it was very much what you mm-hmm. learned in the Gurdwara, which was the Kirtan and the part. And you just did things because your parents told you to do them. But there was never really sort of any internalizing or processing of, of, of that. Uh, information. So when you started to apply that critical thinking and figuring out what does this actually mean and 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 which version am I going to take? And I was very fortunate that as well as learning from camps, as well as learning from parents, around the age of 20, I actually met a mentor, a, a teacher who showed me a, a whole new way of understanding Sikhi. And that was the side of meditation. So I never went down this route of um, trying to solve any sort of mental health crisis or anything like that. In fact, 
going back 20, 25 years ago, no one was really even talking about mental health. These weren't right. the kind of conversations that were being had as they are in these days. You know, there wasn't really this conversation about depression, anxiety, and all those things. So the angle that I really got into it was, was that the religion that you've been taught is much less to do with stuff on the outside or a god in the clouds, but it's much more to do with you and your mind. And so just the whole idea of self-exploration via meditation became fascinating to me. And for the first time, I was just being shown to just sit and look within myself and just self-analyze and go deeper and deeper and just figure out what is here. What happens when a thought comes into the mind? Mm. Who is it that's looking at this thought? I, the fact that I can even view a thought and I can hear these thoughts in my mind, who is it that's hearing it? It's these kind of self-reflection and, and self-realization techniques that I started to just explore within myself. And I think once I'd sort of gone through that journey and then started to read Gurbani, Gurbani just made a whole nother level of, of, of sense. Right. And what I couldn't then reconcile was, why is it that no one in the Gurdwaras was interpreting Gurbani through this self-realization perspective. It was like nobody had gone through this journey. No one in on the Gurdwara stages was talking about really deeply going and exploring the self. It was always stories about the Gurus. It was always stories about the Shaheeds and the great wars and the battles that were fought. Or it was always just these long convoluted conversations on a particular subject, which, you know, five minutes from, from starting, you don't know what point the, the Kathawachik was making. And well, I, just I don't think they really know. I, I have a feeling yeah, they don't you know, know themselves. They just kind of go on a train of thought, one thought after another, and they start one place and they end another place. And we're just all And they end up somewhere there. else. And, yeah. and, 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 and uh, that's how it felt. And, and when I was going down this route and I was reading Gurbani and I'm like, oh, the, the Bhagats and the Gurus are actually talking about states of mind. And, mm -hmm. and I'm able to kind of get a little bit of a taster of this in my meditation sessions. So that to me was so hugely inspiring and it had a huge impact in my life. Just the very idea that you could sit down and, and calm yourself down and just find levels of peace within yourself. And I was just inspired to go and help other people. And, and, and what I would do is just, just, you know, at the various camps and things that we were involved with, I would just volunteer myself and say, hey, look, if you don't have a speaker available, I'd like to do a talk. And I think that's where my confidence just really built in going and doing talks researching more, self-analyzing more, meditating more, and just kind of that, that combination of self-analysis, looking at Gurbani, and then being forced to stand on stage and clarify your thoughts, because sure. there's, not, there's no better way to learn than actually stand up in front of someone and actually be forced to take all of those thoughts that you have in your head and be able to communicate them in a very clear and succinct way. And I think all of those things just led to me becoming so fascinated by this journey and thinking, look, nobody else is doing this. I think I should do more with it. And that's just where the idea came to just start a YouTube channel with no real plan to do anything with it. You know, I had my career in IT and I was just going to put something out there because I just felt like it needed to be done and no one was doing it. Yeah, because I think that's most of us have been introduced to you through YouTube. I mean, I, I know I first came across you on your YouTube channels and it was it, it was a different style then. It, it was like you were at a Gurdwara uh, doing Katha on a stage and there, and then the camera would be on and then you would just kind of post these videos. But we met at Sing's camp in 2017 and we actually got a chance to room together. So it was kind of interesting to actually talk to you like to here I am watching you on YouTube all the time. And I'm like, Oh, there's this guy 
But then when we're hanging out in our room, it's like, oh, he's just like us. He's a normal guy. You know, he's got normal thoughts. He just happens to be focused on this. Um, and I think when you put yourself out there, you're also putting yourself out there for a lot of criticism, which is how I initially thought about you. When I first met you, I was like, oh, I'm going to challenge him on this thing he said on this YouTube video because I didn't like that. And I want to really understand. And then as soon as we started talking, I was like, oh, man, he's such a nice guy. He's he's so like you were so like um, thoughtful and how you spoke and what you were saying. And it really hit me hard when you did a presentation. So that that camp theme was about like the five vices, Dom, Grod, Lo, Mohan, God. And there was a different speaker on each topic. And I think the first one was on the ego on God. And you did a workshop and it was like, a, yep. you walked us through like a, a, a meditation on understanding like who is the observer in your mind. So like you took us through this whole exercise. Which, and then we talked about like building walls and bricks and your identity and how you build your ego. It was so, it, it was very process oriented, but it was so like step by step, took you a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper until you under, start to understand, okay, what do I really think I am? You know, and then the, you, how you're talking about going inward, it, the Shabbat, the Hirde Nam Visayo Karbate Guru Teayo. You know, like whenever you hear it, typically people are like, oh, you don't need to go to the mountains to meditate. You can stay home and meditate. That's kind of like a worldly level interpretation. Yeah. But if you think but of the your body is within yourself. Yes. If you think of your body as your home, your, you know, which is what your body is your temple. You know, we say that kind of thing. And staying here, going inside and getting that nam in, into your heart, um, that very much connected even through that ego workshop you know we're talking about ego but recognizing the ego also helps you recognize what's not the ego right so yeah. when we did that when you did that workshop and i was like okay there's something a lot deeper here those videos it's hard to go by videos because you might say something here as an example or you might say something in another part um, as a reference and then someone can focus on that and maybe not look at it completely in context. And I'm sure you've had to deal with a lot of that. How, do you, how did you handle people like me who wanted to come and challenge you and, and, and debate you on the things that you're saying? I think what I found very interesting for a number of years, so the first video we put online was 2013. Okay. And for a number of years, because it wasn't my career, it wasn't something I was trying to build or do. The number of views and how many people were watching were just not something that I was really aware of. I remember for the first time at that actual camp, um, one of the first times that I was actually invited to attend uh, any event that was in another country. And I would go and I would, uh, like you do with anywhere, anywhere you go, you go and you're kind of shaking people's hands and they would tell me their name. And I would say, Oh, I'm Satpal Singh. The assumption in my head was nobody knows who I am. Of course, they don't know who I am. And every single time I would introduce my name, people would say, oh, we know who you are. Like, <laughs> like, you're, you're, like you're already well established. And I remember at that camp for the first time being totally surprised. Why is it that I'm in Canada and people know who I am? That It didn't occur to me that there was that many people watching these videos. Right. So I don't think I actually understood the impact that, 
the reach that social media was actually having. Because whenever you put videos online, certainly in those oh, those early days when you don't have a lot of views and a lot of subscribers and things, and you're just hoping that anyone's watching it, um, you do just assume that it's a very small number of people. The only things that you have to go by are are sort of random metrics like you know view count or or the few comments that you get. Right. So I don't think I was aware that me, my name, my views was a discussion or things right. that people were talking about. And I and I actually for for a number of years I didn't actually come across a lot of negativity. And the only thing that I could put it down to was I knew that this wasn't a common view. The kind of things that I was sharing, I knew that it wasn't what most people have heard before when it came to um, traditional Sikh. Teachings. The only thing that I could conclude by the fact that there weren't that many negative comments was if you know most people probably don't have the patience to sit through and listen to something like this, you know. So I just constantly assumed that there wasn't a lot of negativity or there 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 wasn't going to be a huge amount of backlash. So you know it would have been very interesting had you actually come to me and and, and challenged me on on all of these points because that would not have been something that I was aware of. I was just wasn't aware that people were even watching what I was doing. Yeah, no, I, I, I think actually it's interesting for me to also watch how everything evolved because you definitely shifted. And I'm guessing because you talked about having an IT career, um, you don't, you don't, do you still do that IT job or have you, you've given that up full time for non-economic, correct? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think at that time you were still in this transition period and you can kind of tell yeah. how your content evolved. But I guess for me, I'm wondering, how did you get to a point where you were able to package it so well and kind of polish your message, kind of build that consistency? Because the way I think about it is it's a framework. I know I mentioned this earlier, but like a Kankirthni Jatha, they have a certain framework that they view Sikhian. And then they approach Gurbani with that framework. And I'm not saying somebody's right or wrong, but like Dhamdhamitiksal does the same thing. Sikh missionary does the same thing. As a matter of fact, I have heard like, I have been on both sides of this argument, depending on who I'm talking to, but like a Kankirthnijatha types might um, argue about meat and they'll quote the Shabbat, Mas, Mas, Karmurk, Chagari, right? And then a Sikh missionary who doesn't believe in vegetarianism, he'll argue against being vegetarian, calling it Brahmanism and all this kind of stuff. And he'll quote the Shabbat, Mas, Mas, Karmurk, Chagari, and they have a slightly different spin on how they're interpreting the same Shabbat. So you have your framework, you look at everything through that framework and you just kind of make sure everything lines up, you know, and then people feel pretty good about their understanding of Sikhi. I'm not saying that you're creating this framework and challenging others, but I'm just saying it's cohesive. It seems to fit together. You have defined the Guru, Shabad, Bani, Nam. You have these definitions that um, you're using consistently and your message then kind of cohesively goes together. What did it take to get to that point? And, and, and how, how did you get that done? Did you, do you have to build a team of people or is this just blood, sweat and tears, hours and hours of you putting things together and thinking about it? How did you, how did you come to that point? You know, you mentioned that when you were younger and you had, exposure to these various groups like the Akhand Kirtanis and Dandamitaksal. I wasn't, I was 21 years old before I'd ever even heard the word Taksali. I oh. remember the, very vividly having a conversation 
and someone saying, you know, we, 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 there was a camp when I was sort of early sort of twenties, and we we were going to attend a camp, and it's actually uh, my wife who wasn't my wife at the time, and I was having a conversation with her, and she said to me, "Oh, this camp should be really good because should, there should be a good mix of uh, taksalis, nehangs, and kantkitkinis oh, at this right. camp." And I remember having a completely blank expression on my face because I'd only just uh, received Amrit the year before, and I was completely blank, and I was like. I don't know the words that you just said. So I grew up in a in a family where we weren't affiliated with any of these right. things, and I, I didn't even know these words. I didn't even understand what they meant by when she said taksali and, and nihangs. I was like, I literally, you're just speaking another language to me. So one of the things that I think has been a godsend to me was having no affiliation with any of these groups. And I mm. think what tends to happen with most people, as you say, is They assume a worldview, a viewpoint, and then they go into Gurbani and they interpret Gurbani with that worldview. And I think one of the things that I've been very lucky and very fortunate is that I was saved from that way of 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 looking at Gurbani. I didn't come with preconditioning, and you know we 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 take the the, the viewpoint of, of of meat, for example. Like my only whenever that that question would come up, my only frame of reference was I don't. I know what my parents have taught me. I know what other people are saying, but what does the guru say? And I, and you know, this is how I would approach every right. single thing. I was like, I'm not going to listen to anyone. I literally just need to go and find every shabad in Gurbani and then figure it out for myself. And I would just do this time and time and time again, and almost adamantly not listen to katha or pracharaks that were coming from a particular angle. I mean, another way was you know when it came, I I one of the big series that we did on our channel very early on, about two thousand and sixteen onwards, um, was a full uh, translation of the Japji Sai. Yeah, that's that's going to be my I next went, thing to listen to. By the way, I'm going to go through all and, of that. And, and what you'll see the stark difference between how we we do content now, like like the Anansaib, and what we were doing back then. I mean, I literally went down to the level of why is every single word spelt the way it is, and I, and in that Japji Sai series. I define the spelling of every single word. When it's spelt like this, it means this, and when it's spelt like that, it means that. And I know, even in your background, you grew up having a little bit of, of an understanding with that. With I think your dad had done a lot of work on this yeah. stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. And so for me, I just went down to that level of regimented analysis, and and I and I did explore the meanings from lots of different things. I remember when I was translating the the Japji Sahib, I had at least about eight different. Tikas open, which are these mm. kind of commentaries, and I had you know Gani Gurbachan Singh Pindravale, I had Kavi Santok Singh, I had Paivir Singh, I had Rajneesh Osho. Mm-hmm. I would just look at Pai, I had uh, Sant Singh Maskinji, and I want I wanted to know everything from every different viewpoint. But the the other thing that I would always do, and I think this is the mistake that 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 most uh, Pracharaks makes or most most teachers make is they tend to only do. Uh, a translation based on book knowledge, and I think that's one thing that I, I refused to do, which was I had to include my own introspection as well. So as I'm going into meditation, right. I'm actually understanding layers and levels of myself because you can't talk about a subject that is about the mind without you actually going in and, and spending time on your own mind. And I think that's the one element that I brought in is is what have I experienced? And I think one of the things I tried to do, and I'm, I'm quite honest about it. Is I will only talk about things that I've experienced. So a question that comes up quite a lot, you know, it, it, whenever I, I I do talks, is people say, "What you know? What's your view on reincarnation?" And I and I'll always give the same answer. I'm like, I don't remember my past life. 
and I have no interest in my future life. So I have no opinion on on, on reincarnation because I'm not going to go and say right. Gurbani says this because just as you rightly said, anyone can take any Shabad and twist it based on however they understand it. And I'm saying, well, I have to add that element of what do I know from my own subjective experience? And I have no experience of my, my past life. I don't know what, what my reincarnated previous forms were, if any at all. So that's the thing I always talk, I always kind of stay in my lane, which is what do I know from my experience? Mm. And then make sure that I, is it true according to Gurbani? And I, and I do, I, I think one of the things I try to do, I genuinely do try to look at Gurbani from a neutral perspective. I, like I'm, I'm happy for, for the Guru to tell me that I'm wrong. I'm happy to learn something and, and completely change my mindset. I'm not going in with a predefined set of answers that I'm just looking for quotes to then justify, justify or validate. Yeah. I think that's, that's just been my approach. But uh, no, that's, that's, really, that's really a great approach because one, it allows you to really have an experience, an independent experience, which I think we often forget that, that Sikhi is an experience. It's not just, um, you know, thinking a certain way. It's also acting a certain way. It's also feeling a certain way. You know, so you have to have room for that experience. You, if you're already following some kind of predetermined type of thinking, which I, I shouldn't probably be critical of that because that's part of the journey too, right? Like maybe you have a certain way you think, you're reading Gurbani and you're being challenged. Like that's kind of the point, <laughs> right? To challenge the way we think versus the way the guru thinks. And then how do you, how do you adopt that gurmat so that um, your own programming changes? Like I always think of gurmat and manmat as programming. You know, like I think yeah. you mentioned also like hardware versus software, yeah. right? Um, it's, once you have the right kind of programming, then a problem can come in that's never existed before. And your programming will have a way of approaching it and solving it that falls within Gurmat because you've adopted this Gurmat type thinking. But uh, I think uh, one thing that I, I was really impressed by is you're able to speak in a way that has this uh, kind of global appeal. It can go across cultures. It can go across religions. And, and, and it seems that's very intentional, and maybe you can speak more on that, but um, you're not just talking to six. You're, taking, you're trying to say, okay, Gurmat is this philosophy and way of thinking. It's for everybody. And don't get caught up on what religion you are or not. Think about how thinking this way can be a positive effect in your life. Can you speak a little Absolutely. bit more on that? I, I think for me... You know, you know, we go back to having, uh, talking about some of these kind of uh, conversations that people would have and debates, you know, religious debates that, that exist right. in, in all communities. And part of my own kind of self-reflection, self-growth, realizing that whatever this God thing is, was going to be found in here. It was never going to be found somewhere else. And, and so the whole journey of me trying to understand myself and looking at the bigger picture meant that very quickly, all of these conversations that people wanted to have, you know, I, I grew up pre-social media and the only, only way that you kind of learned about Sikhi was actually through online forums. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, those, those kind of discussion rooms uh, where, where people would, would debate everything 
And I just never had the appetite to really go in and debate, like I have a really solid viewpoint and saying, I'm just going to do whatever I can to prove this guy wrong. I just never had the appetite for that. And what I realized very quickly was when you're talking about self-realization, awakening, letting go of the delusion of your own ego, that you are something, once that becomes your goal, then all these debates become really trivial. In fact, anything to do with grouping you into one particular category, I belong to this group or that group, or even I belong to this religion or that religion, all of a sudden, all of those things just became absolutely meaningless to me. Like, I don't really, I, I, I used to go around actually saying, I'm not even interested in labeling myself a sick. Like, I don't, that, that, that doesn't bother me anymore. And it was only because, not because I had lost the, the, the value of my teacher, the, the, the guru, the barney, but because I had lost interest in putting myself into a category. Like, the very idea of putting yourself into a box is what we're trying to get out of. The fact that we have limited views, and one of the most limiting views that we have is that I exist, I am an individual. When you realize that your own limiting views are the things that's stopping you from progressing and realizing the ultimate truth of oneness or whatever you, word you want to use, when I understood that this was true for all human beings, every single human being has the ability to go down this journey, I think that became my mission. That became my mission of taking the wisdom out of the Gurdwara, taking the wisdom out of the religious confinements that people had called Sikhism. And I said, well, this is not Sikhism anymore. This is just a truth for all human beings. And if it's a truth for all human beings, then one of the things I need to challenge myself to do is, can I actually talk about it in a way that appeals to all human beings? And one of the frustrations that I had when I did start actually taking um, the YouTube channel seriously, when it became my full-time work that I wanted to dedicate my life to, I realized that no matter how I spoke or the kind of things that I was saying, when I was looking at the comments, there were always Punjabi names in the comments. Every single person was a Punjabi. And I, and I keep going back to myself and saying, if, if the people who are only viewing my content are already preconditioned to to listen to Sikh views, then I'm doing something wrong. And that's one thing that I've constantly tried to um, challenge myself and better myself on. Like, I, I remember um, I would, you know, when, when I was in my IT career and I, I'd be sitting on the train, this is going back before I started the channel, maybe 2010, 2011, and I'd be writing down ideas for videos. I'm like, I think I'm gonna start a YouTube channel. And mm. I remember looking in the train on the way to work, looking at all these people and I'm thinking, What's that person going through? What's this person going through? And how does Guru Nanak solve that person's problem? And so my, my, my viewpoint has always been that the message, the wisdom, is not a wisdom for the Sikhs. It's for humanity. And I know we all say that, like everybody likes to say, oh, Sikhi is for the whole world. Well, if it is, then why, why aren't you able to communicate to the whole world? Why is it that you're, you're, you're still only talking to the Sikhs in a way that sounds like the Sikhs and for the Sikhs? And then I used to go back and think about Guru Nanak. And I was like, we already know from Guru Nanak's history that he was very good at communicating with people of different faiths. I hate, I hate that terminology. But, you know, we, we proudly say that when Guru Nanak went and spent time with the Buddhists, the Buddhists would say, he's, he's our leader. 
And when he spent right. time with the Hindus, the Hindus would say, no, he's our guru. And when he spent time with, with, with the Muslims, the Muslims would say, he's our guru. He's our teacher. Yeah, he, he was and Baba Nanak. And he I realized was that we lost he was that all skill. These things. Yeah. Right. So he, that, he had these it, different you know, we labels. say these things, we say these things quite proudly, and yet we've lost that skill. Guru Nanak had the skill to actually communicate to different people. And it's, it's when you take that mindset and you look at Gurbani, you actually see how Guru, Guru Nanak does it. And the way he does it is, Whichever community he's speaking to, he uses their words and their language. So he doesn't right. stick to, I am a Sikh and I need to speak in the Sikh way. When he goes to Baghdad and the Shabads that Guruji has, he is using terminology and language and references and analogies that they would understand. And when I understood that that's Guru Nanak's technique, I mean, Guru Nanak went as far as even dressing differently when he went to Mecca, dressing differently when he goes to different communities. And so that, and I realized, well, if my guru is doing that, then we've lost that technique. In fact, we, 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 we try to do the opposite, which is we try to put ourselves in this box. We're saying, I am a Sikh, which means I'm definitely not a Hindu. I'm definitely not a Muslim. And let me tell you how different I am from these religions. That's the mindset that, that Sikhs tend to go out. And that's why they do all this interfaith work, which is let me tell you about my box and, yeah. and let me tell you how I'm not in that box. And I just take a completely different approach. And my approach is I don't belong to any box. I may look like I, I'm a Sikh and I may learn from the, the Sikh masters, but what's going on in here doesn't have any religion. It's something beyond religion. Yeah, and the same I, I, applies to every human being. Do you think there's a danger there that, okay, when you're focused that way, I mean, Pai Lenaji was a Sikh of Guru Nanak Dev Ji. Um, Guru Gobind Singh definitely created a Khalsa identity. And he was a Sikh before he was a guru. You know, um, Guru Hargobind Sahib, obviously, that's kind of where you see the shift towards this Miri Piri, Sant Sapai. It's not just about being a spiritual being. It's not just about the spiritual teachings. It's also a physical implementation that's economic, it's social, it's political, it's military. It's got other aspects to it. And in doing so, there was a clear identity given to the Sikhs because they needed to be connected to that guru that has this identity. And also, obviously, the, the political environments shifted because then there was a push for, we want you to be a Hindu, or we want you to be a Muslim. And now in response to that, no, I'm a Sikh. It's not because of some, um, you know, uh, ego. Okay, I shouldn't say, maybe today, most of us out of our own ego want to define ourselves with something that we admire so much that we think is so yeah. great. The world thinks it's great. And I'm one of those guys, but I'm saying it evolved out of what the guru started. It's not like it was, um, just out of nowhere. I mean, Guru Nanak Dev Ji, you're right. He traveled, he did all that, but the gurus after him didn't do that as much. And they did definitely, uh, create a box essentially to say, if you're going to be on this path, you're going to live this way, you're going to look this way, and you're going to follow these rules because they're going to keep you in a certain discipline, and that discipline will keep you in a certain mentality, and that mentality will help you, you know, think about things in the way that, from the Guru's perspective. Do, do you see any danger in ignoring that, or maybe not ignoring it, but from kind of pushing back against it? Well, again, I, I'm not trying to make any sick let go of their religion. And I don't think that's, that's my perspective. What I feel is that all of those, let's call them religious layers or yeah, boundaries, sure. come 
from an underlying understanding of, of, of freedom. So Sikhi starts with the fundamental truth that Guru Nanak Dev Ji brings to the world. And in fact, Guru Nanak Dev Ji, you know, it doesn't invent this. This, this, this wisdom has existed for, for tens of thousands of years in the Indian subcontinent at least. And Guru Nanak Dev Ji brings a clarity to all humanity and saying, look, this is the true nature of what a human being is. Once you get that level of clarity, then it doesn't matter what you do on the outside. Then you have to kind of just figure out which way um, you're going to navigate in the world. Because Guru Nanak wasn't one of these people who said, I'm just going to be a free thinking meditator sitting in the mountains. So once you have to engage with the world, then you do have to work a certain way. And, I, and a simple example is when you go to work, you have to wear a certain attire if you're going to have a business meeting, if you're working in a factory, if you're working in a restaurant, there's a different right. ways of, of that you need to dress. It doesn't change who you fundamentally are, what you do on the outside. But first, you need to know who you are on, on, on the inside. And I think that's what Guru Nanak Dev Ji does. Yeah. Today, the conversation with Sikhi is too heavily skewed towards the things that the later gurus did without understanding the absolute fundamentals. And the absolute fundamental is your ego is an illusion. And when you don't start from Guru Nanak's perspective, and you only start from, I'm going to take Amrit, and I'm going to do my nickname, and I'm going to wear the Panchkakar, and I'm going to do Kirtan and Seva, and all of these things, and I'm going to make Langar. Once that becomes, what you're doing is you're simply just adding layers of identity, but never really understanding that all of those layers of identity were built upon a total freedom. So the reason that the, the spiritual warriors around Guru, uh, Guru Gobind Singh Ji's time and Guru Har Gobind Ji onwards, the reason they were able to fight these battles, the reason they were so willing to die was they had already perfected Guru Nanak Dev Ji's techniques of letting go of the ego. Hmm. But today, we don't really understand that side of things. And I think my effort has always been not to diminish that. It's just that I'm not... Go the, the, the conversation is so loud on this side that I'm right. going to talk about this side because that's like the, it, I need to rebalance the conversation just so that people know that there is a spiritual side. Because most people yeah. who are going into Sikhi are, are unaware of this deeply spiritual, self-reflective, self-realization aspect of it. In fact, what you end up finding is that a lot of Sikhs are still experiencing mental depression and anxiety and and, and, and suicide and, 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 and all right, these kind of right. huge major uh, mental health dilemmas because they're not actually focusing on the spiritual well-being, the mental health well-being. So they're only kind of convincing themselves or fooling themselves that they're sick by doing all the external things, but never really doing some of the internal work. And right. all I'm trying to do is saying, look, I don't deny any of those things exist, but there's a conversation here that's not being had. So the channel that I set up was, I'm exclusively just going to talk about this because that needs right. to, that, that it needs to have a voice. That's the part you're seeing missing in all of this, because I, I see, I know what you're saying. And it's the common criticism too. Like you'll hear from, um, especially like, uh, like the average, I don't want to say average sick. That's, that doesn't sound right. But you know, like maybe six who don't keep all the rat, they don't keep their hair. They'll constantly criticize. They'll say, well, that guy's Amritari and he lies or he beats his wife or, or she cheated or, um, they took took money from the business or you know like and they're like and they're supposed to be amritai they're supposed to be the holy people you know th this and that so we can see that um we fail as people to live up to the 
first part of it, which if you're going to say santh sapai, the santh part, but we, we are quick to adorn the sapai, the soldier side of it, whether we're doing lungers, different places, turban tying events, interfaith events, exactly. uh, you know, whatever soldiering we're going out into the world and doing, we tend to identify very deeply with that. And then that becomes the sole focus that, look, I'm a sick and I did this thing. This is good publicity. See how good we are. You know, we, we see that a lot. And so I can understand and I, and you're I, trying to balance that a little bit with, hey, and understand the I can only the put it down to, I can only put it down to the fact that doing the things on the outside that make you convinced that you're sick is drastically easier than doing some of the internal work. Because the oh, internal sure. work, you have to, you're basically questioning the very fundamental aspects of who you are. You're looking at your own psyche and saying, am I real? Like, that's a very difficult conversation. For most people, they're not interested in that. And, and maybe for a lot of people, that isn't the work that, that even interests them. They, they don't want to do that. And, and you know, what, what's fascinating about um, the techniques and, uh, that Guru Nanak Dev Ji brings into the world is he's not asking everyone to be a deep psychologist or, or to be really interested in in some of the, 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 the mental kind of battles that, right. that, you know, that, that, I, that right. I like to talk about. But really, his methodology is still, is still saying that you still need to get to this point, but I'm going to give you an easy tool. And the easy tool is sing. Just sing right. some Kirtan. Like, let go of your ego in right. that love, in that music, in that melody, in praising the universal life force. And so Guruji is still trying to get you to that space of letting go of the sense of self. And there's so much Gurbani that says when you let go of yourself, then you find God. And yet... What I was finding and I'm still finding today is very few people are even having a conversation about what does it mean to let go of yourself? And are we interested in letting go of ourselves or are no, we just going to do more it's terrible scary. No, we we're don't. Not. Yeah, we, we have to, we, we're so attached to our identities. When you were saying that, and I, and I don't want to come across like I'm trying to minimize this anyway by using this example, but I was thinking about like a bodybuilder, right? Like I can walk into the gym with a tank top, my weightlifting belt on, a big bag across my shoulder with all my sports drinks and protein powders in it, go in there and, and lift heavy weights every day. But that does, that's not what's going to make you a bodybuilder. You're going to look the part, you're doing the actions that the bodybuilders do in the gym, like at the Gurdwara. <laughs> um, but the real work of a bodybuilder is, is he getting proper sleep? Um, is he eating his meals proper? Is everything weighed? Calories are counted? The you know, they're um, what they call their macronutrients. They've measured out. I'm supposed to get this many grams of protein. I'm going to get that. Their whole thinking changes when they eat food. They don't think, oh, this tastes so good. They think, how does this bite get me this much closer to my goal? So mm. now their mentality is totally changed. They are going to eat, sleep, and breathe bodybuilding to become a champion bodybuilder. Now that means they don't have to wear the weightlifting belt into the gym and stuff because that's not fundamentally what being a bodybuilder is. That's just looking the part. And then not only is it that nutrition, like you said, Guru Nanak Dev Ji gives you this methodology. Someone can just tell me what to eat. The scientist knows, well, that amino acid goes in your body and it reacts with your cells this way. That vitamin goes in here and it helps with this. And this goes in this omega fat or whatever is going to go and it's going to help you with your joints or, you know, you don't need to know all that, but you might have all of that, right? So now you're comfortable and then you don't crave donuts. You don't crave soda. You don't crave those things because 
you're living, breathing, sleeping, eating, bodybuilding. So I, there's, I to me, it's, it's such a great analogy into Sikhi. I think what you're describing is that it becomes the entire person. Like every aspect of their life is then, how does this affect my, my, my mm. nutrients today? How does this affect my training? Like, am I getting enough sleep? It's because your goal is then to almost perfect that. And I, you know, I would never even try to give the impression that I'm somehow doing that in, in my own spiritual journey because, you know, I, I, I think that's you why know, you're with, relatable. With, I think that's why it's so effective because it, you do, you're talking about it and you even share your personal experiences when you're, when you're making a connection. And sometimes we forget because we think, oh, the gurus were a long time ago. Their problems were different. But fundamentally, the problems were the same because the, fundamentally, the problems are attached to the ego, right? And so now you make it relatable. Been the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, 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 think, I definitely I appreciate me, that that you were able to do that, personalize it, so that because then it's like, oh yeah, that's what happens to me. I don't think of myself as an angry person, okay? Except for when my kids do something wrong, <laughs> then all of a sudden I realize, oh my god, man, I am a really angry person. <laughs> What did I just say? What did I just do? <laughs> right? It's so very interesting. And one of the things I, I try to do very often is try and show my own weaknesses and things that I'm struggling with. And, I, and, and, I, and I've, you know, over the years, I've, I've, I've tried to, to give as much back to people as possible about the things that I struggle with for no other reason than to actually show how do you then take this wisdom and apply it? Like I'm genuinely trying to explain when I have to, you know, shout at my kids, this is mm. the stuff that I go through in my mind. And then I think about how the wisdom can apply in this situation. So I try and share that as much as possible yeah. because that's what real life is. Like I'm not trying to portray myself as some sort of, you know, squeaky clean saintly kind of right, figure. And I'm, right. cause I'm not, and that's the, that's the truth. And, and, you know, when, when you meet me, you just realize, like you said, when you met me that I'm just trying to go through this journey of life, like everyone else. Um, right. but for me, I'm just hugely, uh, inspired by the fact that there is a wisdom that helps you deal with this day to day stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So what I noticed too, is now, um, I'm going to go back and listen to Jupti stuff, but the nun sahib, like I said, is so professionally done, very struct structured very well. But it seems like um, um, you've recently taken on a new project to kind of expand on this. You're, what is it? It's the Global Gurmat Learning Groups. Um, I saw you on the on DVN's page, the, the Swanda Network. Um, I watched your little video and kind of tried to understand that. Why don't, why don't you kind of talk about that a little bit? What exactly is that and how does that work? Because it seems like um, you're setting up almost like um, cells or something so that people can yeah. take this learning and share it easier. Again, everything that I do online is me trying to improve the work that I do and make sure that it reaches more people and make sure that it's impacting more people. And when I started the YouTube channel, inevitably I got to a point where people would invite me to travel to go and do talks at various places. And, you know, that's exciting and that's great. And I get to meet lots of people and I get to travel. But what I very quickly realized was, where's the impact? If I go and travel halfway across the world 
deliver a talk or two, meet 100, 200, 300 people, and then I leave, what's the long-term impact on that person's life? And I think that's the thing that I've always been, been motivated by, is how do we help people make real lifelong changes? I'm not here to just be a, a traveling salesman. I'm not here just to go from door to door and just, you know, speak yeah. with, just because I'm given the opportunity or I'm given a platform. Right. I'm, I'm motivated by the fact that people's lives can be transformed for the better if they apply this wisdom. So what I've tried to do is figure out what is more effective to help people. And I realized, and through the various things that we've tried in, in our groups and, 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 and various talks and things that I've done, is what I realized is when I used to run the Japji Sahib class, for example, we had a consistent group of people coming in week after week after week. And what I would see was a few weeks into it, people were having real changes in their life. Like people were saying, you know, last month my father died and had I not been attending this class, I would have been a mess. But because I'm attending this class, it's, it's, it's changing my life. And what I realized right. was people were having huge changes in their life. And the only thing that I could put it down to was it's not that I delivered one talk and it changed their life. It's consistency. It's okay. constantly coming back. It's constantly the analyzing the, the wisdom, analyzing the wisdom, having a group that you can talk to that will, that will challenge your way of thinking, and then thinking about how you apply that wisdom in your day-to-day -day life. And some of the conversations that we were having in the Japji Sahib group that we were running was people would have, you know, after we'd switch the cameras off, people would just sit and carry on talking for about an hour right. and say, hey, I'm going through this in my life or I'm going through that in my life. And somebody else would answer, you know, when, you know, when, when, when my parent died, this is what I went through. Or somebody would say, I'm going through a divorce and I don't know how to deal with it. And someone else says, this is how I'm applying this wisdom. So I realized that's how real change happens. Real change doesn't happen by me traveling and doing talks. Yeah, so but essentially what you're describing is a, a vichar sessions in Sangat. <laughs> right like Absolutely. those are the con Absolutely. those are the concepts and they're they're reinforcing the messaging and so that it's 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 interesting yeah. to think of it at that level because we don't think of uh the technology how that really plays a part in that but here you are using the, this platform youtube and you got the people together and they're having sangat and they're and they're doing vichar and they're they're yeah they're contemplating right and, 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 and applying it in their own life and figuring yeah. out how do I do this when, I, when, I, when I'm frustrated at work or when my, my, my boss gives me a deadline or when my kids frustrate me, how do I actually apply this wisdom? So over the years, I've had to change the style that I deliver my content, one, to appeal to everyone, but two, to start to build a culture of group learning and cons consistent learning over time. So one of the decisions we made, and we started that with the Anansab series, was I would put some questions at the end. Yeah. And I said to people, when you finished watching this, try and answer these questions either right. by yourself or in a group. And I wanted to see the idea that, that you're only really going to start to progress when you're learning in a group. And then we saw the impact of that. And there were groups popping up all over the world where people were learning and, and improving. I realized that this was a formula that then I, I needed to replicate for no other reason than to help, help more people. And so... What we've started now is with these, with these wisdom groups around the world is we want more and more people to not just passively consume the content on YouTube, but to actually sit in a group. And so we've started to create courses that are designed specifically for groups and, and getting people either to sit in a circle together 
yeah. or people getting together on a, on a Zoom lesson, but actually allowing, creating the content that allows people to, to learn in that way, because I've seen the impact that it's had on people and I'm just motivated by Im- impacting more people's lives. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a really interesting um, approach because naturally these things are going to have to evolve. I mean, one of the greatest difficulties, I would even say the Kathavachiks that we hear, even even the great ones like Maskeen and and Bipinder Paul Singh and you know <laughs> other people that are are amazing at it. I feel like there's sometimes nuance and subtle points that even Punjabi people, Punjabi speaking people are missing. And they 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 are catching it better in English. And English is I mean, for better or worse, I mean, I don't know, people seem to sometimes get upset about it, but English seems to be the universal language. Everybody around the world is speaking it. And there's, there's nuances sometimes that totally get me in Gurbani. Um, you know, sometimes things seem so simple, but then when you think like we were talking about that, you can translate it in a worldly level or you can take it literally, you know, and it has merit on the, in the, in the worldly level. Then you go deeper, you can take it spiritually, you know, and then what kind of mentality do you develop out of that spiritual understanding? So a lot of time those subtleties get lost and being able to communicate in English without using like that old English, what we're used to the old translations, you know, thou and this, and, you know, and sometimes a weird word will be used somewhere that you're like, well, what, what the heck does that have to do with anything? And then you got to, you know, it doesn't make any sense. So being able to take these finer points and explain them well in English is a huge service, even to people who understand Gurbani. Like, I don't have any great understanding of Gurbani. I struggle just like everybody else, but I can understand like reading Gurbani better than I can understand reading like um, a Punjabi newspaper. Like it's, it's actually easier for me to understand the Gurbani. Sometimes yeah. I get stuck on words and then I, I'm like, reading the word for like 20 minutes and I realized, oh, that was international. Yeah, I, I'm right. thinking it's some Punjabi, complicated Punjabi word and it's actually English word spelled in Punjabi. So, you know, for me, even for me, hearing it in English and kind of connecting with, oh, take it a step further. Don't just have that topical, trans- I, and I, this is where we get stuck, I think, where trans- translations are very literal they're word by word and line by line. And sometimes a small Gurbani line might need a paragraph of explanation. You know, it's more than translation. It's explanation. It's explanations in English. Like now that I'm thinking yeah. through it as we're talking, that's what, that's what I think a lot of us are craving. It's not just a translation. Translations we can read at the Gurdwara, we can read on, but getting those explanations, why these words mean these things or where these words come from or what the connection is to other Gurbani. That's where the power yeah. is coming from. And you're providing that with, with your series. At I least mean, at least at me, some level. The the translations are still something that I'm so appreciative that we even have the technology to yeah. just look at a Shabbat up on our phone and look and you know, even till today, when I'm sitting in a Gurdwara, when I'm listening to Kirtan, if I'm if a hukam nama or a shabbat comes, yeah. the first thing I do is I get my phone out and I, and I'm looking at the translation. Yep. I'm lucky that I'm able to read Punjabi as well, that I can look at things like Professor Saib Singh yeah. and, and try and understand it from that level. But again, that's something that I've just had to learn over time. I was not brought up learning Punjabi mm. 
Punjabi was not my first language. Uh, I still struggle to speak it, but I can read it and I can yeah. understand and process it. And same, I'm in a very similar thing. situation to you where yeah. a, you know, a newspaper Punjabi is difficult for me, whereas reading Gurbani and reading spiritual <laughs> texts seems to be a lot easier right. Uh, right. for me. So, so I, I never say that the translations are useless. I think they're, they're, they're absolutely the first point of, of contact. But one thing we need to realize is most of the time translations have been made by university professors and experts in language. So linguistically, mm. they're translating the Gurbani, but if they don't have that additional layer of self-realization, then right. they sometimes miss out things, or sometimes they're translating things which literally work very well. But then what it does is, is it's, they're coming from a dualistic framework. So if the entire mindset that they have is, there's a me and there is a God, then everything that you translate is going to come with that mindset embedded into it. Whereas if the mindset is, is a mindset of oneness, then you, the way you translate, and one of the things I try to do with every single video that we post online is I refuse to use the traditional translations. Like I will go in and translate, even if we're going to have a Shabbat up on screen, I insist that I have to translate everything. And I'm not right. perfect and I'm not a language expert or anything like that, but I certainly am able to pick out how limited the English translations are. And that's where you need that extra layer. But I would kind of challenge you a little bit on what you were saying about how English is the language that seems to work. I actually think simplicity is the language that works. And what mm. I try to do is I try to use a common everyday English that you and me are speaking right now. Right. That's the same language that I use if, I, if, I'm, if I'm describing a spiritual concept. And I think what we don't see in Punjabi is using everyday language. So when somebody sits right. on a stage and does Katha in Punjabi, they then use these very spiritual words and these very spiritual analogies. And they, they talk about things in ways that don't relate to everyday people. And I, one of the things I've been adamant that I always want to do is let's just talk about real people in real lives. And I would love to see more people doing explanations in Punjabi where they are just being very real and very raw about what people go through in their day-to-day -day lives. I think that can be done in Punjabi. I think that can be done in, in any language. No, that's if an anything, excellent Guru point. If anything, Guru Granth Sahib Ji proves that language shouldn't be the barrier. So Guru Granth Sahib right. is in many languages. It's not right. one language, even though it's in one script, that's the Gurmukhi script. But the actual language yeah. is Guru Nanak Dev Ji proved the formula that you can actually just do this in any language. It's like if you know your subject matter, you can actually talk about it quite well. And I think when we see Punjabi translations or Punjabi uh, Parchar, they feel like they have to speak in a certain way that sounds like a Punjabi Parcharak, that sounds like... Well, how else are you going to know that they're an expert? <laughs> exactly. And, I, and, and, you know, I, I, very clearly, you know, on the early days when I would sit on a Gurdwara stage, I realized very quickly, hey, I'm not one of these guys. Like, I'm not an expert. I'm not some kind of Gyanni or anything like that. And, and I don't want to present myself in that way because I'm not one. I don't have Gurbani quotes just coming out of my ears. Right. So I, I, I don't want to present myself in that way. I'd rather present myself as a dad, as a working guy, as the everyman, because that's actually how I see myself. And it's more relatable. I mean, uh, the point that you're making about on the stage, um, there is something uh, even a little bit more, um, I don't know, uh, uh, problematic because on the stage, like as often you're doing kirtan and it, then within the kirtan, someone's doing katha, right? Well, that, that creates an interesting scenario. It creates an interesting relationship with the sangat because you here you are doing 
Gurbani, the Guru's words, the Guru's message in his pure form. And then when you start talking, you're almost conflating the message and the messenger, and now you can give another message, right? So it becomes an interesting position to be in on, on the Gurdwara stage next to Guru Granth Sahib facing the Sangat, you know, while Gurbani is being read and now all of a sudden interjecting. I don't want to say necessarily it's always Manmat because there's some brilliant Pracharaks that are giving Gurmat, but it puts them in that position where they can easily say something that would be anti. Uh, this happened one time at Vasaki. There was a Ragi Jatha here and they were doing Kirtan Guru, you know, all this Guru Gobind Singh. Um, they were doing all these Shabads and then he stopped and started talking and he was making the point of how brilliant Guru Gobind Singh was to give us Kirpan. And his point was that if there was a nuclear war, all these other weapons that everybody has would be useless and we would still have our Kirpan. And I was like, that is, that's what you think was so great about Guru Gobind Singh? Like that's what you took away? First of all, it makes no sense whatsoever. And then to be able to throw that out there in the middle of singing Gurbani, you know, not only does it kind of shift your attention and shift your focus, but now anybody who doesn't know better, it can elevate this person to say, oh, well, yeah, that, that's what that person said. You know, they made a really good point. If they don't know any different, they could be like, oh, he made a great point. You know, and you're elevating that person's message now to the Guru's message. So it's a very confusing scenario. So I'm, I'm usually very um, not in favor of Gathaf like that in that form. But then there are certain people that were so good at it. Like you're doing it in English. And, and I think it's, it's a very thought, well thought out explanation. Um, and then there's other people like basics of Sikhi and some other people, they're doing stuff in English. Um, and I think there's a place for all of that, right? Like there's, there's plenty of room for everybody that's doing these different things. But I like, I like this effort that you're talking about with this global Gurmat learning groups where you can create more beyond just uh, information coming this way. You know, it's information is going to simmer here amongst people and there's going to be a discussion and then there can be growth. And now there's an actual impact from this information coming. It's actually an interesting model that could be copied, right? Yeah. And, and, and what, one of the challenges that I was facing was wherever I was being invited, I realized very quickly that I was the bottleneck. If I wasn't there, their event can't go ahead mm. or they need to just replace me with some other speaker. And again, I was trying to think of, you know, we, we, we're in an internet age. Yeah. There's so much technology around. How do we create learning systems that removes me as the bottleneck? And YouTube is, is a great way to do that. You know, having, creating courses that are pre-recorded with all the instructions, now do yeah. this, now read this, now, now answer these questions, now look at this Shabbat. Creating models like that meant that we can replicate this and, 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 and get this all across the world without me physically having to go and, and, and if I'm in Australia, then I can't be in California. And right. you know, you know, overcoming some of those things. And I, you know, I've created the, 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 the first course in, in, this, in this new way of working for us is called Living with Wisdom. And we've thought so much about the look, the feel, what's the language, what's the name of the course, because yeah. we've realized that we want to actually create this as a course that doesn't just sit in the Gurdwara, but it should, it should be in 
in almost all sick organizations, camps, schools, and learning centers like that. But we've actually created this because we know that we can actually start to put it elsewhere. So this should be now appearing in um, universities around the world for all students, let alone just your sick networks or your sick associations. You know, we want to put them in hospitals. We want to give them to uh, funeral directors. You know, the next course that we've got coming out is called Grieving with Wisdom. So yeah. what happens, Not you don't just provide the funeral service because somebody in, in your family has passed away, but you actually provide a therapy service and it's completely free. We're not charging anything for it. We just want to get it out there to anyone of any. And I think we've really tried to challenge ourselves with, with this new way of working, which is how do we get Guru Nanak's wisdom out there to absolutely everyone? And we've got to be very good at making sure that it's, it looks good, it sounds yeah. good, and it's actually relatable to every human being, not just the Sikhs. And the only way to do that is to make it completely relatable and to create content that is about real people and real lives. It's, you, you know, you're, you're not going to turn up to our, uh, our courses and learn religious facts. You're not going to learn some history. Right. You're not going to okay. learn stories. You're only going to learn things about you and your mind, which is 99% of what Guru Granth Sahib talks about. We're trying mm -hmm. to stay as true to the actual wisdom as possible because you don't open Guru Granth Sahib and start reading stories. You learn Guru Granth right. Sahib is about the mind and, and, and different states of, of love and devotion and emotional states that, that, that the Gurus and the Bhagats were going through. They recorded it all down. So we want to help people in all walks of life. And our vision is really, let's get this out to schools, to prisons, Let's get this to as many different places as possible. And that's where I really want to get as many people who are listening and watching this to start to actually become involved. Go online, livingwithwisdom.org, actually register. Everything's absolutely free and start running these courses. You don't need me. You don't need us. We're not going to hold your hand. You literally just go there, click on register on the course and you just start to run it and you can just create your own learning groups yourselves. That's interesting. So, it, so just to reiterate, it is free. Um, and it's a complete course. Like, it's not like something that's ongoing or something. This is a complete course. And is there a way for people to preview or, or something to get an idea? So that is that all on the website so they can get an idea of well, what they're getting into? Or do you just so register we, and start? It, well, it's, it's completely free. So you've got nothing to lose. Just go in and register. And then you get all of the content of yeah, the course. Okay. Um, but we've also, we're also releasing the videos of each course onto our YouTube channel. I see. But the, okay. the videos are not the whole package. So before the video starts and after the videos, there's a whole course that comes with it. But you're getting the actual content on, on YouTube as well. So I you see. can see what the gist of, of the learnings is. Yeah. Um, Almost like but trailers. But the whole course is available. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're actually putting all of the, the, the whole video, the learning oh, okay. of that video okay. of, of every episode is, is, is on YouTube. I see. But it's not the entire... We, we, we've, we've packaged uh, these group learning sessions into sort of one and a half hour sessions. So I we see. say, before it starts, this is the questions that you want to discuss in your group. Okay. You know, you do this meditation, now watch the video, now answer these questions, now reflect on these shabbat. So you're not going to get that full package just by watching the course on YouTube. You will get it by actually going online and, 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 and doing it via the, the, the um, Living With Wisdom website. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting, you also mentioned um you know, applicable, uh, available to everybody kind of, uh, universally, you know, out there. Um, one thing that I did think about listening to the nun side was, um, it, it can apply to even an atheist, somebody who doesn't believe in God, somebody, um, who's maybe more scientific minded, so to speak, or whatever, 
um, because the way it's framed is not to get into ideas of deities and, 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 you know, some all powerful being watching over, like those aren't the tones you're using, right? You're getting more into, okay, we're going to take, um, the concept of Waiguru just being a creator that's embedded in the creation as a life force, so to speak. And it's there as a force. It's what is you. It is what is outside of you. Um, that's something that's palatable to people who are not religious at all, or maybe reject religion altogether. I, I thought that was in there. Is that was that intentional to even be able to appeal to people that maybe think that way? I mean, I'd I'd like to say that it was intentional, but the reality is that it was just an evolution of my own journey. I see. And the further and further I looked into it and looked into myself, it it deconstructed this idea that there is a Mr. God floating in the cloud somewhere. Mm. And when I no longer could identify with a character or a personality called God, then I had to go back to Gurbani and saying, well, what, well what if, if there's no God out there, then what is this God? And that's where I had to go back and learn that this God is essentially a oneness. And the, the most favorite word that I like to use to reference this is oneness. It is a life force that is absolutely everywhere. Now, interestingly, Gurbani works on many different levels. Yeah. If you want the traditional God, the very dualistic way of thinking, you can absolutely look at Gurbani and translate it in that way. So very traditional monotheistic religions will completely resonate with what's being said. The trickier part is to decode some of the language and speak to people who don't connect with that. And I feel that we're in a world now where the vast majority of people do not relate to a godlike character or a personality, God having some sort of character that you can speak to and pray to and ask for things. You know, that way of thinking, most of the world is rejecting that now. So does that mean that Gurbani is no longer true? And I think I took it upon myself to, to challenge myself to say, how do you interpret Gurbani? Because if it's a truth, it's always true. We proudly say that this this oneness is ad such, jugad such, herbi such, right. nanako be such, which means it's always been true, it's true now, and it'll always be true. Right. Well, if it's always going to be true in a world where most people are rejecting a religious worldview, then what is the truth for them? Because it, it still applies to them. And I think that's where I've become um, quite uh, good at trying to decipher Gurbani and speak about it in a way that does appeal to. And, and I'm very confident that, I, that, that you know, most atheists would be able to view our content and say, actually, this guy makes total sense because he's not trying to sell me a god. He's right, not trying to sell right. me a Mr. God. He's not trying to sell me a father figure. He's right. trying to just explain something intrinsic to life. And, and it's a truth. And, yeah. you know, it's, you know, when, when, when we were kids, you know, we used to hear this story about um, a group of blind men all holding on to a different part of the elephant right. and saying one saying the elephant is like this. And another saying the elephant is, is thin and long because he's holding the tail. And someone's saying, right. no, it's, it's, it's hard because they're holding on to the tusk. Right. And so no way of describing this oneness is wrong. It's just different angles and different ways work for you. Yeah, I mean, all, those I, all I, things can be true, though, right? I, I think there's also not a rejection, outright rejection of the possibility that God uh, or whatever God is, the oneness, 
can be manifest in different ways. It, 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 it is truly out of human comprehension. But the approach when you're in, going internal, it's, it's critical to think of that oneness. That one, I mean, you're, I'm assuming you're saying oneness because ik on God. You're, you're kind of connecting back to one, like not there is one God, but God is one. There, it's just one constant, right? And there's no yeah, breaks I, in it. There's no, it's not, you know, it's not a thing because it's, it can't be a thing because it's everything. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, or as a, one way I like to think about it is there's just one thing here. Yeah. It looks like many different things, but everything that you look at is essentially one thing. And that's, that's another way of kind of interpreting oneness. I mean, I, I go back to the analogy that, you know, you gave about kind of bodybuilding and, and then looking at your diet and your weight. If somebody was to say to you, what's the best way to lose weight? You speak to 10 different people and they're going to say 10 different things. Right. One person's going to say, I think you should go running. The other one says, I think you should do free weights. The other one yeah. says, no, it's all about nutrition and diet. The other one says, you've got to go swimming every day. So or take which this one pill. is Someone's right going to tell you take wrong? a pill. <laughs> yeah, none of them are wrong. They're just different ways. And I think what's the beauty about Gurbani is that most people don't like to think of Gurbani and the Guru's wisdom as actually having multiple paths. But the more you look at Gurbani, mm -hmm. you realize that there are many different paths to the same definition or destination, all within the, the, the spiritual wisdom of, of, of Guru Granth Sahib Ji. There isn't this monoculture that, that seems to have been created in, in modern day Sikhism. Yeah. There isn't this one single way of being a Sikh. Gurbani itself has multiple different paths. And again, you've got to go back a little bit into understanding um, the spiritual traditions that predate Guru Nanak's tradition. And you actually start to learn that there are different spiritual methods. And then when you read Gurbani, you're like, oh, in this Shabbat, the Guru is speaking to people from this tradition. And in this mm -hmm. Shabbat, he's speaking to people from this tradition. So if there are so many different ways to understand it, then... You know, it's very easy for someone to say, well, 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 what he's saying doesn't sound like my path. So either I'm wrong or he's wrong. And it's a very right. black and white way of thinking. And, I, and right. I just don't don't subscribe to that. Yes, I have a particular way of, of, of interpreting Gurbani because that's the way that makes sense to me. And when I realized that nobody else was talking that way, I felt, well, there's probably hundreds of thousands of people around the world that also resonate with the way I see Gurbani. And if nobody else right. is talking about it, then I might as well talk about it. Not because I'm an expert. But just because I need to give voice to this other way of looking at Gurbani, which is this introspection, self-realization, uh, losing the ego and connecting with everything that's, that's, that's around you, this universal life force. That was, the, that was the thing that made total sense to me. And then I've just been on this journey to try and figure out how do I, how do I reach to as many people and, and help them see the world in this way for no other reason that it's, it's such a beautiful way to live. It's such a life-changing way to to enjoy life, to, to deal with the difficulties of life. And if, if it can help me, surely it can help as many other people out there as well. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, that's one of the goals of this podcast, honestly, because people who know me know that I'm very opinionated. I have what I think, you know, Sikhi is or what right or wrong or whatever. Um, but I also remind myself that this is just my ideas. I'm not, I shouldn't be stuck with these ideas, I should be able to learn and evolve. Um, and there's other perspectives out there and treat them equally valid because even if I, I might think something is total garbage today, 
a year from now, 10 years from now, who knows? I might have a totally different view and I might be like, oh, you know what? We talked about that 10 years ago and he was right. You know, now I see why that makes sense. So we have to have that ability to, yeah, we have to act on what we think is right. Right. That I, sometimes I get annoyed. People are like, um, you think you're so right about everything. Well, no, that's why I do the things I'm doing. Cause I think that, that I'm right about it, you know, but I'm also aware to say, I can't be stuck on this. I'm not married to these ideas. These ideas are just ideas. I'm something else. I'm something that's having these ideas. Right. So <clears throat> I, I definitely appreciate that there's different perspectives and I hope people listening to my podcast, I know a lot of them think the way I do too. They're very stuck in the way they believe. And I want people to feel comfortable and okay with that's okay that you do. But for the sake of the month, for the sake of the sick, um, nation prospering we need to be open that other people are guru centered and they're viewing things differently and let's keep space for all that and keep those dialogues open instead of shutting people down instead of boycotting people instead of yelling them down or chasing them off you know someone is pro dasam grunt and someone is anti dasam grunt just listen to it all and be comfortable where you're at but st- don't call each other names. Don't like, I want to, people to see these other perspectives. I I've had people on my podcast that I don't agree with their perspective a hundred percent, but that's okay. Cause somebody else listening might. And I want people who don't to be more accepting. You know? So that's kind of one of the goals of the podcast. That's really one of the great reasons. I'm so happy you came on today. I know you, we talked about a lot of stuff here. Um, I, but I love the fact that you kind of pulled the curtain back a little bit, gave us a glimpse into you, the person, how you went through your thinking, your process to get to where you got to. I think these initiatives are great. I really enjoyed listening to the Nunsai podcast. It really, I've watched previous videos and you know, I've, I like them. I'm not knocking any of them, but I felt like the Nunsai one, it was so well, it was, it almost felt like going through a workshop. Every episode was like a little mini workshop. And I appreciate that style. That's, that's what I enjoy too. That's what I like to do. I like to make things relatable when I go to camps or whatever and teach something. I want it to be relatable and I want it to be impactful. And I feel like you accomplished that really well. With and that's, you're talking about 40 episodes, you know, various lengths. It, it's a lot of work. You know, it, it, it is a lot of work. And I, I appreciate that you did that. And I can see the impact is having people. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you. I mean, for me, that's just been my, my, my driving factor for so, for so many years now is just how do we help as many people as possible? And I'm not a saint or I'm not doing something amazing because I just know, I, I almost feel like I'm, I'm trying to do justice to the wisdom itself. It's such a shame that we're sitting on this incredible life-changing wisdom and we do nothing with it. We don't even change our own lives, let alone start to change other people's lives. And when I look at it, it's, you know, the only thing that I can equate it to is, you know, when, if, you, if you've watched this amazing new movie or you've heard a great piece of music, the only thing you want to do is tell other people, say, hey, have you watched yeah. this movie? You've got to watch it. Or have yeah. you heard this song? You really need to hear this new song. And I feel like I still have that sense of enthusiasm whenever I, I read uh, more Gurbani and I yeah. listen to a Shabbat, I'm like, wow, I had no idea that the Guru has used this way of thinking and, 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 and teaches us this new way of understanding ourselves and, and connecting with, with, with the life force of the universe. And I, I just want to share 
for no other reason, like an excited kid just saying, hey, you, you got to try this new thing, you know, and I, and I just want to do that with as many people as possible. So, you know, I've, no, I've, you know, I've tried... I, I, I think you're think you're I think what you're saying is the same thing I'm thinking. Oftentimes when I if I do any kind of workshop or presentation or anything, I think about how would I have liked to learn this? The younger me, how would I have liked it to be presented to me so that it would have clicked? You know, because and growing, being born in the U.S. and growing up in the U.S. and going through the education system here and and all the pop culture, you know, that I've been exposed to, it would have been very impactful for me, like early on, if somebody had explained to me how Asa Diwar um, can translate to the um, life journey of Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader, you know, like. Uh, you know, like I would have loved for somebody to have done, cause that would have really piqued my interest. So now I think about, okay, if I'm going to do an Asa Devar presentation, let me tie it together with star Wars and the idea of the ego and Vader and, you know, how, and how he becomes Vader and how he falls and how, what Asa Devar is telling us about the same journey. So I, and I think that's kind of what you're doing. You're taking, um, Gurbani and the impact it's having on you. And you're thinking, how can I present this in a way that I could have learned? Cause surely there's gotta be many people out there that would have appreciated it the same way. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I, I think that's true. I mean, I, I love the, the, the example that you gave. I remember when, when, when we met, uh, your, your presentation that you did stood out a mile to me because you had this whole story of a guy called Amr who gets on a plane and, 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 and he, yeah, he goes right. on a journey. And, and I won't give away the punchline because I think it was such an aha moment for me when, <laughs> when, you, when you presented a story like that. Um, and I think the use of, of storytelling is really so impactful for people because that's how they begin to understand and relate to these characters. And in fact, to some extent, why I'm, I'm quite comfortable using old Indian stories and, 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 and you know, we can call them mythology or we can call them history, but stories of the Mahabharata, of Ramayana, stories of, of, of uh, great warriors and saints like Lord Shiva and Lord Krishna, like Gurbani uses them to help understand. And in fact, one, one of the things I try to do is to, to, to demystify some of the, the story around it, to actually mm -hmm. relate it to the mind and the soul. And so, you know, when we talk about something like Diwali, it's not really about a person called uh, Ravan stealing someone called Sita right. and, 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 and Lord Ram, it's actually about the soul and the body being attacked by the ego because that's, you know, that these, these, these narratives have, and commentaries have always existed for thousands of years, but we tend to always try and, 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 and simplify things to, to very, very literal meanings. Right. And yet when you go a little bit further down, I find that you can actually apply it to your real life. So one of the things I say is, is, you know, the, the Ramayana isn't a battle that's, that happened thousands of years ago. It's a battle that's happening within you right now. And as soon as you do that, you just take something that's out there and religious and you bring it to me and say, oh, it's back to me again. And I think that's one of the things I try and do. It always goes back to you and your inner journey. And these stories are very helpful in that way. Yeah, yeah. You actually use that example of Hercules, like Greek mythology and Roman mythology. Those are all lessons. We, we all clearly understand the lessons. We don't take the stories necessarily literally. And you had mentioned about Hercules and how he goes through this journey to realize he is a god. Right? Yeah. And, and also, I never thought about it from that perspective. It was, it was so brilliantly 
put out there. And I think that's the key. Being able to take these things and understanding that they're not always literal and put them into practical terms that we can understand. Like you said, it's not just the fact that it's in English. It's, the sim- it's in simple language. It's in modern language. It's yeah. in relatable language. Okay, saying well, thank you so um, much for having me on board. Thank yeah, you. no, it was great. It, I really, really enjoyed it. I hope I can get you to come back sometime next, whenever you want. Actually, if you anytime you want to come back, you are welcome. Um, but I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day and spending some time with me here today. And uh, um, hopefully, we can do more in the future. Mandir Singh, thank you so much. It's actually been a real pleasure because I don't get to always just have conversations like this. A lot of the time when I'm writing content. It's about me just kind of scribbling ideas down on paper and thinking about what the best way, should I say it like this or should I say it like that? And actually sometimes conversation is just so much easier to just talk about it. And then, you know, you you just kind of take the conversation wherever it's going to go. So it's been a real pleasure for me as well. Awesome. Great. Good luck with everything. Take care and hopefully we'll talk soon. Okay. Okay. Okay.